Welcome to Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. Today is the 1st of May 2017. In this episode, I discuss the issue of battlefield tourism on the Western Front with Dr Stephen Miles. Stephen has written a new book titled The Western Front Landscape, Tourism and Heritage, published by Pen and Sword. This book examines the history of battlefield tourism since the end of the First World War. I started our conversation by asking Stephen to tell us about his book. Yes, the book uh, stems from work I did um, for my doctoral thesis in battlefield tourism, which I completed about four years ago. And it became evident from my work that the Western Front was clearly a place where the three strands of landscape, tourism and heritage came together quite powerfully. And it's my belief that these are three things that are mutually interdependent. So the landscape in which the war was fought attracts tourists in large numbers and has done for for many years with varying fortunes ever since the the war was fought. And the tourists, tourists rely on the landscape to understand the events of war. But in turn, this landscape is a very powerful heritage setting. And in, within the landscape, there are many examples of the war's material legacy. So things like pillboxes, bunkers, and also things like um, unexploded ordnance. So all that is part of the heritage of the war. And tourists are keen to see these things, and also this heritage. Heritage is also uh, stored in the growing number of museums along the Western Front. So really the three strands interact with each other quite powerfully, culturally, materially, commemoratively, and, and also economically. And I wanted the book to show this. The book also shows how the Western Front is not just a material place. It is also perceptually very significant. So there's also a Western Front of the mind. Indeed, people have been visiting the Western Front in their minds before they actually go and walk around it on the ground. The Western Front has been a very powerful icon in our national and cultural consciousness. And also privately, within communities, families, workplaces, churches. And what's amazing about the Western Front is that many different people can stand on the Western Front in one location, yet experience it in different ways and with different emotions and with different identities. So I wanted the book to show that there are, in fact, many different Western Fronts. There's many, many Western Fronts. The reality about the Western Front is that on the ground, there is not a massive amount to see. Considering what happened there, the way the landscape, the topography was changed, when you go there, you do really need to have it decoded for you with the aid aid of a guide or having studied the topography very intimately yourself. And I hope the book shows that despite the, the fact that there's not a lot to see on the ground, the Western Front is an incredibly rich landscape, which when interpreted and decoded can tell us an immense amount about the events of the war and also the people who were caught up in it. In the book, you talk about how landscape of the Western Front can be viewed uh, as both a commemorative landscape and also a heritage landscape. Can you just tell us what what you mean by these concepts? You've only got to travel through the Western Front to be aware of the literally hundreds of cemeteries that you see there and also memorials. That's what I really mean by a commemorative landscape. Uh, this mixture of uh, memorials and um, cemeteries, but also the actual performance of commemoration. So what I mean by that is 
the ceremonies that take place at places like the Menin Gate. And not just public ceremonies, but all the very ad hoc, impromptu, private ceremonies that take place, people visiting the graves of their ancestors. So it's this whole blend of different material and um, emotional and perceptual uh, forces that make up the commemorative landscape. And then the heritage landscape, which is, in my opinion, not as visible. So you will see pillboxes, you will see uh, the outlines of trench systems, you will see bunkers, and you'll also see reconstructed heritage. You will see, for example, the the, um, the Bayenwald uh, trench system in Belgium, just south of Ypres. You will see German trenches that have been reconstructed. And that is a, that, that goes up to make this heritage landscape. But then you could argue that a lot of the memorials along the Western Front are now becoming heritage in themselves. So there's this uh, materiality, which is part of the Western Front uh, heritage landscape. So there is an overlap between a heritage landscape and a commemorative landscape. Has the um, Centennial actually seen a massive increase in numbers visiting the Western Front? The figures I've got, I mean, at the beginning of the centenary, for example, what I what I did, I looked at just one example, certain war sites along the Western Front, and the change in visitation between the uh, between 2013 and 2014, and you can see this in the book, uh, a selected number of main main sites, and those numbers between those dates, there was an 81% increase in visitors just over that one year. I found one of the areas of your book really interesting was um, the discussion of some of the moral dilemmas and issues that are raised um, around tourism and the Western Front. And one of the um, issues which I thought was particularly interesting was balancing the needs of tourists and what they expect to see when they go to these battlefield areas against the interests of the communities who have to live, live on these battlefield sites. And I think, you know, to illustrate the point, I remember once going to um, the battlefield at Orbers Ridge, um, where my grandfather's battalion, the Kensingtons, were involved in an attack on German lines um across a field and uh, on this on the original trench map there was just a road uh, which they followed up and to reach german lines and when we went there you know 80 80 90 odd years later there were houses there and you know feeling a bit sort of put out that this sort of historic uh, battlefield where all these men had been killed you know 200 men all vanished as a result of this sort of action and all these houses were there being built and life was continuing on as normal and i think you know it just sort of struck me about it that it's, it's difficult what I expect and what really happened, you know. But then when you reflect on it, some of these um, communities would say that, you know, they didn't want the battle on their doorstep 100 years ago. And and they and many of them actually resent um, British tourists tramping across their gardens to follow in the footsteps of, of their grandfathers who, who were there over 100 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating point, actually. That, that's, you hit it on the head there, because actually um, it does raise the question about one country having its heritage on the soil of another. And I, I, I mention this in the book, what I call um, orphaned heritage. Um, but yes, who are we really to dictate how other people determine their own uh, communities, their own environments? This has always been a bit of a problem. Tourism has, uh, in many areas of the world, in many different contexts, has had a bad name. Tourism can do harm as well as good. Tourism can certainly bring in economic benefits to communities, but tourism can also damage those communities. 
And I think you see this along the Western Front. There is a tension between uh, people who, yes, they want to keep their, their communities uh, sustainable, viable, but also they don't want them to be swamped uh, by tourists. They don't want them to, there to be cultural damage. They don't want um, people to tell them what to do. Uh, and they don't want um, people to try and prevent development, for example, because heritage might get in the way. But um, And it is a rather thorny problem, I, I, I agree. Uh, in the book, I bring out some of the ethical dimensions of tourism and some of the problems in places uh, along the Western Front, uh, the Northern Western Front. And um, yes, it's, it's a rather difficult one. There's no really clear answers about it. Uh, tourism does have some rather unintended consequences. Um, but I think the, the whole thing about the way that we, our heritage, is on the sovereign territory of another country, um, and war is a, is, is a typical example of where that happens, when nations, countries in the past have gone out, outside of their own countries to fight in other countries, their war heritage will inevitably be on someone else's soil. But there are, of course, other people along the Western Front who welcome the, our interest in, 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 in that heritage and in those places, because it does provide them with a sustainable future. Uh, the fact that we, we take an interest in these places and that our tourists will come and visit these sites is, is clearly a good thing for many, many different communities. The other interesting thing you do raise is what's going to happen to the Western Front post-centenary? I thought that was some really interesting discussions about how technology might influence our interpretations. Yes, well, I suppose there's two things there. One thing is how, how things are going to pan, pan out, if you like, after the centenary. And the other thing is how technology is affecting our interpretation. I think looking to the future, I mean, it's a difficult question to answer because, you know, none of us have a crystal ball to gaze into the future. But I, I personally think that the, the, the centenary has clearly encouraged more and more people to, to think about the war and how the war shaped the 20th century, so the historical background of the war, and also the, re the relevance of, of the First World War to us to this day. And also, in turn, people visiting the sites of war. And I think, I'm, I'm hoping that's going to develop a habit in people, that people will continue to visit mm. the Western Front well beyond the centenary. And that, that's something that may well happen. Of course, after the centenary, there's going to be a lot less media coverage of the Western Front and indeed the First World War. And that might well affect the numbers of people who are prepared to uh, travel. But it's it's encouraging. I think I think we should be encouraged by the fact that that numbers have increased and um, people have, there are going to be people who have become aware of this conflict and the Western Front who would not otherwise have developed that awareness. And I think that's a really important thing. And Stephen, final question. Yeah. Where can people get your book from? Well, the book can be ordered from the Pen and Sword website. The, the publisher is Pen and Sword Book. Um, it's available on Amazon and it's also available to order in any um, high street bookshop. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman, 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.